Once again, to Upper in the Studio, your weekly Chinese blockbuster podcast. I'm Noah. It is I, Reza. <laughs> I'm Andrew, and this is the Jackie Chan post-Rush Hour 3 season. This week we're talking about Chinese Zodiac, released in 2012. You don't have to see it, we're going to give a synopsis, but if you want to watch it without spoilers, listen to the show afterwards. Later, we're joined by Laura Weisbecker, who plays Catherine in Chinese Zodiac. After that, we've got Ben Knott, the cinematographer for the volcano sequence in the movie. But first, we're talking about the movie amongst ourselves. Here's our conversation, starting with a synopsis. In this sequel to the Armor of God films, Jackie Chan stars as J.C., a treasure hunter for hire, who is tasked with retrieving the legendary bronze heads of the Chinese Zodiac, looted from the Old Summer Palace during the Second Opium War. The lost statues have become incredibly valuable, and his clients are ready to pay top dollar to bring them to auction. On his journey, J.C. poses as an academic to infiltrate research circles in the homes of French elites, eventually leading him to a pirate island of lost treasures. When his profit motive is revealed to his new allies, J.C. rejects his personal greed and instead decides to retrieve the Zodiac heads not for profit, but for pride in China's heritage. Rocket launchers, volcano battles, and lucrative cultural appropriation, this is Chinese Zodiac. The first time I watched this movie, I was fact-checking an article about art thefts of classic Chinese art across Europe with these bronze heads and the things stolen from the old Summer Palace being a focus of the article. And what struck me about this movie was that it was made basically at the same time as these thefts were happening, which I just found incredibly funny while watching it. And when I eventually went and read Jackie Chan's autobiography... He mentions that he was put onto the story of the bronze heads by China Poly Group, this massive conglomerate in China, which has a lot of ties to military intelligence in China and has also a separate wing of it, which is dedicated to recovering Chinese treasures abroad, sort of like what Jackie Chan does in this movie. Clarify, do you think that Jackie Chan stole those artifacts? <laughs> I like to think so. I think he broke into the uh, Chateau de Fontainebleau, the, you know, Drottenham mm-hmm. Palace. I think, yeah, he repelled from the ceilings. The man is known were for any this sort of, of those, thing. Uh, were <laughs> any of those robberies committed with roller suit? <laughs> Dude, that shit kind of ruled. It went off. On for too long. What a way to start this movie. Yeah. What a way to just throw <laughs> you in this movie. I like the concept of this movie so much, right? Just like stealing back your art from the colonizers. I feel like every country needs to start doing this more. Yeah, I'd watch a Egyptian Chinese Zodiac. I'd watch like an international like rat race, but like <laughs> people end up at the British Museum. They have it in the beginning of Black Panther. Yeah, when no. Michael B. Jordan goes to the British Museum and he steals those masks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. ruled. The movie really went downhill <laughs> after that. <laughs> I would be down to watch a movie about some wily Greeks who are, like, trying to get back their marbles. It could be called We've Lost Our Marbles. And it was made in 1945 by Harpo Marx. <laughs> by Harpo Marx. It could be an Ealing comedy. So this movie starts with a woman asking to use the bathroom. 
Oh, I need to go pee pee. Yes. Yeah, I really didn't know where this was going to go when that line happened. <laughs> Immediately, it throws you off with its spaghetti western style of uh, everybody speaking their own language and then dubbing it afterwards, which it's weird because, not because it's a weird thing to happen in movies, like it has a, a precedent, it's just weird because it usually doesn't happen in Jackie Chan movies. At least you get to hear Jackie Chan always. <laughs> yeah, Jackie Chan dubs himself. What the hell was he trying to steal in the opening scene? I, I, I had no idea. I, I guess he was stealing something, but I don't think I don't the Russians files, have anything. Maybe. I don't know. I, I also, have, have either of you seen the original Armor of Gods? No, no, I've never seen those. They're actually really good, and they're also like the movies where Jackie Chan damaged himself the most. In both of them, the first bit of the bloopers is just Jackie Chan in extreme pain. I think one, he broke his skull. Another one, he like fucked up his back somehow. Just truly painful, painful movies, but also like really funny. And this one doesn't live up to it, I think. I mean, the first blooper of this one is also him getting pretty badly hurt, it looks like. Oh, that's true. He falls into that frame. Just falling on his tailbone. I think for 2012, he does a lot for this, though. Like, in terms of stunts. Yeah. I was kind of, like, shocked. Because we run into all these movies where he's just really toned it down and is gritty. But here he's kind of just... Like, sometimes it gets slapsticky, but in general, he does a bunch. Yeah, he's very physically Mm -hmm. active in this one. And I thought it was kind of cool that he had the team around him. Like, all of my assumptions about the Jackie Chan stunt team are basically how they... Like, you know the house that they all live in together in this movie? Him and his team? Before we started talking to anyone, that's what I was kind of imagining the Jackie Chan stunt team being. The Ireland Island. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That was my dream, but in reality, it conflicts, I guess. I mean, in reality, they're all pretty close still. They are, they are, but they're not living in the same house i guess yeah. they're roommates but uh, i really hope they have secret handshakes like jackie chan has with his friend in this movie <laughs> yeah that was a really good one actually <laughs> also this movie is like its goals are really strange i think because it's both very clearly mm-hmm. like a jackie chan entertainment but in the biography he says he made it specifically so that people would return the bronze heads to china he even says, if someone stepped forward to return these heads to where they belong, even a single one, I'd consider my mission complete. Like, <laughs> it's amazing yeah. what he's become. I don't know. Jackie Chan has really big goals. He also offered something like a million dollars to whoever comes up with the coronavirus cure, things like that. Well, he was willing to spend $30 million was... at auction on these heads. And he wow. got blown out of the water because the bidding began at $60 million. So Jackie Chan could not afford the bronze heads. That's crazy. Yeah. I feel like this movie was way more about this thing that's happening, like stealing back the art, than it was about the movie. Which I support, right? Like, this is just... <laughs> it's just like, a, hey, we're doing this. Uh, here's Jackie Chan telling you we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, how long ago were, were the, like the last Armor of Gods movies made before they made this one? In the 90s. But it's interesting because... Oh, okay. Like, early 90s, he made the second one, Operation Condor. But it's Mm -hmm. interesting because in the autobiography, he says he was working on this one for, like, seven years, which would bring it back to 2005, about five years before the uh, art heists began. It's totally possible that the planning for this movie was carried out in parallel with the planning for these heists. Not saying that Jackie Chan stole these treasures from various museums. 
Or you're not maybe... saying that they were planned by the same people. Right. But you're not not saying that. Well, it's uh, awesome to think that there's, like, a branch of the PLA that's in charge of stealing black porcelain. Well, I mean, no, basically, like, polyculture is run by, well, polygroup certainly is founded and run by veterans, in quotes, of the intelligence arm of the PLA. Yeah, it's a legit thing that's happening. But again, not saying that polyculture stole these, stole anything. Yeah, I'm not saying any of this, right? Right, right, right. But we're just saying if that... it was happening, it rules. <laughs> <laughs> President G, if you're listening, like, wink, wink, you know. <laughs> He's not really stealing it to to bring it back to China. He's kind of just stealing it to give it to other white dudes, right? Yeah, to Oliver Platt, in... at least in the beginning of the movie. And then he has a change of heart. But then there's the girl who's like, oh, you're not doing this for the dignity of our history. And he's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't even know what brings about the change of heart necessarily. Is it that the dragon head is sort of mistreated and thrown towards a volcano? Or is it before that? I don't know. It's just kind of, it feels like he's annoyed that he got a shitty deal from this guy and it's partly just to spite him that he turns against it it's not even entirely like oh yes i decided this is the right thing to do he kind of just gets pushed away from doing what he was doing before i did think that the sequence where they were like throwing the dragon head out of the plane was kind of cool like i like mm -hmm. some of the set pieces in this movie i think momentum wise it doesn't quite get there it doesn't quite work in that sense but I like a lot of the elements of it. I mean, you're saying momentum-wise in a movie that they jump out of a plane onto an active volcano without a parachute. <laughs> and you're saying momentum-wise, it doesn't get there. That definitely speaks volumes about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. It's I mean, the the uh, falling down, like oh, the ropes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's there's It was a bunch of lions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's her name? Cat Screaming. I just, when I saw that scene, I couldn't help but think of uh, in Tarzan, the scene where Clayton falls through the vines and gets <laughs> hanged by them. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> I, I haven't seen that movie in forever, but like, <laughs> it, was, it was so dark. It was <laughs> just like, whoa. Because you just, you don't see the body, but you see a shadow, and it's like a shadow of a man <laughs> clearly hanging by his <laughs> neck. So when they were falling through these vines, that's all I could think of. God. Honestly, all I remember from that movie is the Phil Collins score. That yeah, was a Phil really Collins. good score. Speaking of other movies, did you guys like the Jack Sparrow pirate just among the rest of the pirates? Oh, that was awesome. That <laughs> yeah, was really something. Jack Sparrow guy was awesome. Like, the pirates all of a sudden just became, like, super just, like, none of them were Chinese, right? There was, like, a Japanese-looking dude. There was, like... <laughs> A bunch of African-looking dudes. Jack Sparrow. Yeah, I'm pretty they, sure... It was, like, the rest of the props they had. <laughs> it was definitely the most problematic part of this movie. I, I did like the Not bit with the missile, though. though. I liked it. <laughs> I like how in Chinese blockbusters, bazookas are often, like... Like, I, I think they're a lot more creative. I played with... around with, like, this time in a vine, previously in a mattress. Yeah, Wolf I mean, Warrior 2, the mattress of, uh, Well, there's also Detective Chinatown 2 in that biker bar. 
you really don't see too many bazookas in uh, American cinema unless it's like a really a military movie. Which or is like, like lions, what China's which has going really through funny, now. Funny bazooka scene. Or I guess some superhero movies will have one just for the hell of it, but not in the same way that in these movies that they just kind but of like, show up. They're the, just deeply the cartoony like elements in these movies. Like they're just yeah. so they're like cartoony. They continue to use like RPG as like comedic relief. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's a beaut. The thing is, the bazooka in this movie isn't just like a comic prop. They do shit with it. Yeah. Because they immediately fire off its bud and, and then it's like, like everything. Yeah, it's swinging around. They're like, oh, is it going to explode? That one guy has the like comedically puffed back hair and like, oh shit, I shot a bazooka look in his face. Yeah. Uh, is there anything worth talking about in this movie? I think I'll be honest, I don't, remember, I don't remember the last like 30 minutes of this movie. They lose a lot of gold. They sink a lot of gold in the ocean. Oh, that's true. And it, like, doesn't even matter? No, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It's movie <laughs> gold. <laughs> Were they just kind of after the gold as, like, a bonus, sort of? That's the thing with this movie, though, because I guess it's the case in this movie and a lot of other movies where you have a MacGuffin that... The reason the MacGuffin's valuable... In this movie, the MacGuffin... Well, the reason has, like, the MacGuffin's valuable, valuable is but... Chinese patriotism, right? Exactly, exactly. But for the most of this movie, it's just treated as cash. It's treated as, like, a paycheck at the end of it. And so I feel like that makes money absolutely worthless in this movie, since we don't care about it at all. I mean, so there are, like, negotiations towards the end, right? Like, yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't matter, because you don't see the payoff of any of that money. You don't see the kind of situation that they're living in that you're like, oh, this is what they're spending the money on. Like, money doesn't have any value. I mean, they, like he's they have to, they have to make they have to make hero. roller have, suits. They have to make they have to build their lair. But he already, he, exactly, he already has it. He already <laughs> has the roller suit. He already has the parachute jumper. He's already got all that shit. So it's like you don't know what else he would need the money for. Like future, I guess future projects, totally right? just advertisement for like this awesome thing that they're doing. Well, you know what I'm saying. He's like, it's the same way that in a James Bond movie, you don't really give a shit how much James Bond is making off of what he's doing. Well, I don't think it's much right? in those movies. Well, exactly, because you know that you know that this person is sponsored. You know that this person, whatever they need, pretty much, somebody's going to pay for it. Somebody will step up to foot the bill. But these guys are so mercenaries, I like, right? I think they're treasure-hunting mercenaries. But they're so well-funded. Yeah, sure. They're really well-funded treasure-hunting mercenaries. Like, if Jackie Chan was just strapping some like rubber bands together to try to swing his way over someplace, <laughs> I would be like, oh, this guy needs the money. I mean, I think um, it's very much more so the case in the earlier Armor of God movies where he's, like, much younger. But, I, like, I think part right. of it is that, like, Jackie Chan can no longer imagine the value of money. At this Exactly. Point. But you know mm -hmm. what I mean. No, no, like, no. it's no, Jackie Chan. So you know that Jackie Chan's always going to have money. Exactly, yeah. At this point, he's like, I, I don't know what it means to not have money. Because he's just for fucking like, ever. He's, he's worked hard for his money, you know? Like, Jackie Chan can have money. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah. like, nonetheless... Jackie Chan has broken I'm just himself that, for his money. No, I'm just saying that at the heart of a movie, to have that as your central pursuit, that your character is driven by his pursuit of money, and the characters that surround him are driven by their pursuit of money. In a movie like this, where the people are so obviously very well-funded and very taken care of in what they have as equipment and what they have as their lifestyle, it's hard to have any dollar amount be compelling. 
Oh, sure. Well, I think that relates to the issues with the momentum. Like, I don't give a shit about why anything in this movie is happening. I'm just kind of glad sometimes that it's happening. I don't think the people making the movie do either. Yeah, they just, they want the set pieces. They're (laughs) aiming towards the set pieces. They do have some fantastic set pieces in this movie. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? I mean, the volcano. Like, really. (laughs) Really, that's just when they pull out all the stops. (laughs) But it's interesting. They have an that, active volcano. It's interesting that that's not the first use of a parachute in this movie. He's got his in dog escaping parachute. Yeah, and it's bouncing down the street, getting hit by a bus parachute. <laughs> that's the same parachute. Yeah. I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that Jackie Chan does get hit by a bus in this movie, and it's not even almost halfway there. Yep. That that part just reminded me of Call of Duty. You know, I was texting my girlfriend twice during this movie. I texted her once uh, right when he got hit by a bus, and then I texted her again <laughs> right at the end of the movie when he's sitting in the hospital. And I thought, what if this was the movie? What if it was just <laughs> after, just cut from after one he gets to hit the by other. the bus, he just spends the rest of the movie in recovery? <laughs> oh, and the dragon head is destroyed. Damn. Yeah. He's just, you know, texting people, seeing how it's going. <laughs> Did you get the dragon head? <laughs> I thought his, like, team in this movie was, like, relatively good. I mean, they were all lying to each other. <laughs> there was no real reckoning for that either. Aside from the, okay, we're gonna give it back <laughs> at the end. Yeah. I mean, Jackie, again, risks his life in this movie to get this dragon head. So it's like, you can't really complain. What are you gonna say? Uh, Dude, like, you guys were if dragons before. aren't real, though, how did they know what dragon heads look like? Dragons are real. You had the Dragonology book, right? I had that. No, man. I think. So are dragons kind of like dinosaurs? They're like dinosaurs, but cooler. I I don't think any dinosaurs. I've always had a hard time believing in dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in birds either. Yeah, birds seem unlikely. Yeah, I've heard a lot of things about um, birds not being real. Yeah, dude, bird up. And some pretty compelling arguments. I don't believe in vaccines. (laughs) (laughs) You should uh, date stamp that. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's amazing how much like funny, like how differently funny that would have been just two months ago. (laughs) Like I would have had a follow up take, but yeah. How do you feel about the way this movie uses academia? Academia is kind of abused in this movie by the criminals. They just really take advantage of them at every possible turn. And we're not really supposed to feel bad. At least the academics are doing something, though. Exactly. The academics are doing things that we as the audience are supposed to sympathize with, supposed to agree with. But then at the same time, Jackie Chan is taking and abusing their research, so he (laughs) just steal this shit. But again, like, one of them is one of the most lively advocates for stealing shit, right? The girl, Coco, that he brings along, the academic, from the start, she's like, it's not stealing if it's stolen. uh... Well, she was awesome. Yeah. She had the right idea. I mean, she was stealing for China. Jackie Chan also connected to a sort of weird underground in this movie that doesn't entirely track. And I feel like that's because, I mean, we're going to talk more about this later in another conversation, but apparently the Mandarin version of this movie is much longer and so much got cut for the English version, which, I mean, that really shows. But I'm grateful. I mean, I didn't want to watch a two and a half hour movie. 
On the one hand, I'm grateful. On the other hand, I don't understand what's going on most of the time in this movie. <laughs> Some of these characters just seem to materialize, and it's like, oh, Jackie Chan's known them for all of his life. Cool. Yeah, and none of them, it's not like any of these characters are in the older Armor of God movies. No, I mean, the, those movies were made in the 90s. Even if they were, they wouldn't look the same. Yeah. This is like 20 years after they were made. I mean, Jackie Chan is still playing. Do you know his, his character's name is? Do you guys notice? JC. JC. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite thread of this season. It's really great. I started looking for it in his other movies because of that. I was like, does he always use his own initials? And he doesn't for in a second that he English might. In the English versions of the earlier Police Story movies, I'm pretty sure his name is Jackie. Nice. But I, I think someone was telling me that it's not the same in the Cantonese version. Thank you, Reza. Thanks, Fed. Thanks, Noah. Up next is our interview with Laura Weisbecker, who plays Catherine in Chinese Zodiac. I was asked for casting for this movie a long time ago, like a couple of years before the movie. And I remember I met with the first AD of Jackie Chan for a casting, but then I never heard back <laughs> anything. And then maybe two years later, I was actually in Cannes for the Cannes Film Festival, and I got a call from the casting director who says, oh, no, Jackie Chan comes in Paris. The movie hasn't happened before because he had other stuff, but now he's casting and he wants to see you, and it's in Paris tomorrow. And I was in Cannes, and I wasn't sure because the first time I went, and, you know, I did the audition, and nothing happened. <laughs> But I said, are you sure? You know, and he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, but is he going to be here in person? And he said, yes, yes, he's here in person. So I thought, okay, so I took the train and I went to the audition. And it was very unusual because usually they give you, you know, a text before the audition. But they told me, no, 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 no. He doesn't want to give you anything in advance. It was like very secret. When you arrive, you'll have the sides. Okay. So I went there and I know I know the role. I know the casting director told me it was for same role I auditioned before. It was the role of a granddaughter of a countess who has a castle in France. I know he wanted someone who can do comedy because it's comedy, action and comedy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I went to this audition and I arrived and they were auditioning also other roles. And so when I arrived, there was not the casting director in the waiting room. There was just actors, you know, waiting. And so I see a lot of text and I wasn't sure which one it was my text. And so there was a guy and a girl. And I say, oh, which one is the granddaughter of the countess? The girl said, no, no, you're not for this role. <laughs> she was for the same one. And it was funny. And then I got the side and there was a lot of text, but really a lot. It was a huge scene with a lot of text. You know, this scene where I'm fighting with Coco and Jackie in between. Over the and painting. And I say, yeah, in 1960, yeah, in 1860, mm -hmm. my great-grandfather went. It was this kind of scene. A lot <laughs> of text, right? So I took the side and I went outside to just be away from <laughs> the stress. And actually, I remember everything really well because... I, I journal. I'm an actor and I'm also a writer. And so I journal. And I actually wrote a book published two years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was published, I think, two years ago in China. And um, it could be good to be translated into English and to release it in, in the U.S. I mean, it's, it's not only about China. Mm -hmm. It's also about my experience as an actress. And there's many things in the book. But I talk a lot about, of course, this movie is Jackie Chan. But I, like it could be interesting for young actors and young actresses who want to become actresses, right? Young, young girls. It was way before the Me Too movement and the problem with Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. And my book was almost 
I mean, it was finished. I had given it to my publisher in, in France. And I, I was still correcting, you know, when you're a writer, you always want to change things. And yeah. everything is perfect. And the publisher said, no, you know, I'm publishing. He said, no, 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 wait. <laughs> and anyway, I told him, okay, I still want to write something. He said, no, I'm not taking anything. It's already too much because I had to remove a lot of things. It was too long. And then I still wrote it. And I forced myself to write it because I thought it was important. And it was actually my encounter with Harvey Weinstein. Oh, well. And it was difficult for me to write it because it, I didn't know the term sexual harassment, you know. And I wrote it. And my puppy said, oh, okay, no, I take it. But he asked me to remove the name. And so I describe him and you can really, like everybody told me after, oh, it was Harvey Weinstein. So yeah, because you can really recognize him the way I describe him. Wow. But nobody was talking about it at the time. And it was funny. My publisher mm. was afraid and we didn't put any name. And yeah, nobody cared. And I had many, many interviews on this book in France. We had a lot of interviews. No one ever talked to me about this passage. They didn't care. Wow. So I, that's why I think it could be interesting. Anyway, yeah, I really described this episode of the casting in great detail because I, I looked in my journal. So I learned all these facts. I mean, as best as I can. So when I go in the room, there's a lot of people. The Jackie Chan, there's like 10 people around him, you know, <laughs> all Chinese, looking Chinese. And then there's the assistant of the casting director, a French girl, who is giving me the lines. Mm -hmm. But in the scene, there's two characters, right? And there's... Um, me and but I'm talking to Coco and to Jackie Chan so I have this idea because I thought oh my god how am I gonna know and then the, in the scene she gives me all the lines in English but in the scene sometimes they speak in Chinese and I'm not supposed to understand and the jokes come from that right mm -hmm. that I don't understand yeah. what's being said mm -hmm. and I thought okay how am I gonna understand that she's supposed to speak in Chinese and I'm not understanding where she's gonna speak to me in English how am I gonna remember right so I had this idea. I couldn't ask in front of everybody. But just when I went into the room, they were talking between each other. So there was a little moment. So I asked the girl, I said, okay, when you talk to me in Chinese, can you hold your hand like this next to your face? <laughs> and she said, yes. And that helped me a lot because I knew, okay, now she's speaking in Chinese. So I, I did the scene and it went well. And then Jackie asked me a lot of questions like, can you ride a horse? Are you afraid of the height? And I'm afraid of the height. And I said, no, <laughs> and I'm super scared. <laughs> and I said, no, can you swim? Yes, I'm a, I'm a good swimmer. So that was easy. And then they were all speaking in Chinese for a long time mm -hmm. after I did the scene, before even asking me the question. And I had no idea what they were saying. I wasn't speaking Chinese at the time. Then at some point, Jackie comes next to me and you stand next to me. And I'm so nervous because I thought, oh my God, he's measuring to see if I'm tall or not. And, you know, as um, maybe not in the US, but in France, a lot of actors, female, they're not very tall. And many times in the past, I missed some roles because I was too tall. And so I was trying to look, you know, a little bit, because I'm tall. I was trying to. But anyway, I said, oh, my God, he's measuring me now. And, you know, <laughs> I, they were all speaking Chinese. And it, they didn't care. I have no, because they, they knew I couldn't understand. So they were just. And then the assistant of Jackie says to me in English, okay, go out again. And really try to learn the text as much as you can. Uh, we give you one hour just, and then come back and you'll do it again. But we don't want you to hold the paper. Just do whatever you can. And I said to Jackie, I said, can I improvise a little bit? Because I will remember the idea, but not the exact words. I said, yeah, yeah, sure, you can improvise a little bit. So I went out outside and then I came back and I did it again. And then someone else said to me, okay, that's good. Can you come back this afternoon? and uh, bring some clothes. So they told me, bring this, bring that, a lot of stuff. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, they're asking me to come back. And I did that. And then I was in the afternoon with production designer, um, 
looked at everything and he took photos, he filmed me in the afternoon, you know. And then after the producer, who is Bobby, she's a woman, came to talk to me and said, hey, are you available tonight? We're having a dinner. Can you come to the dinner? I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, we'll call you. We'll let you know what time. And I know they were still auditioning. You know, I was with a production designer. I was, but I know Jackie was seeing other actors. And then in the evening, I was waiting for the call. You know, I was so nervous. I was because they, they told me, we call you and we'll tell you which restaurant and what time. And at some point, I see the time, you know, and it's like, oh, no. Because they were not calling me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's over. Because I thought, oh, it sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. And at some point, like, when I was not even expecting the call, it was 7.30 or 8. They called me and said, hey, Laura, come you're not here? I said, no one called me. What, where, should, where am I supposed to be? He said, oh, at this restaurant. It wasn't far away. I said, come, you'll be here in 10 minutes, uh, maybe 30 minutes, but I'm, I'm here, you know. And then I went to this dinner, and there was the whole team sitting and Jackie in the middle. Of course, I was late because they didn't tell me where it was, <laughs> and I arrived, you know. And it, the, they were all sitting already, and there was Jackie in the middle, and in front of him, there was an empty seat. And it was for me. It was like, sit down here. So I sat, you know, and the, the whole dinner, I could tell already he had has a great memory and he remembered everything someone wanted to serve me wine and I said no and he said no no she doesn't because he asked me do you drink do you smoke I said no he said he remembers no she doesn't drink alcohol and the whole dinner he talked to me about the role and what the movie was about and my role as if I had it but no one ever told me I had the role so they were telling you um, so Catherine your character you do this and I was like oh great you know and then the producer asked me a lot of questions did you already work in China? And I did because when I was really young, I did a fashion week in China uh, as a model. So I, I did already. I knew. And so she, they asked me a lot of questions, you know. And then that was it. No one tell me I have the role. No one tell me anything. And after the dinner, we went to another place. It was really nice. It was this whole team and the casting director and also the French producer, but mostly all Chinese. And so we went for a drink after at... Um, it's a really nice place in Paris. At the Plaza Athene. I don't know if you know, it's a really cool <laughs> cool spot. So we had a drink at the Plaza Athene and no one ever told me anything. And then they left, they had a big car, all the Chinese, they were all staying in the same, you know, with Jackie in the same hotel. So they all left with this big van. And when they were about to leave, the French assistant, who was like the, the third AD for the Paris shooting, mm-hmm. told me, oh, great, I'm so happy you're the first choice. Uh, I hope it's going to work. And that's how I knew I was the first choice because no one ever told me anything. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, great, I'm the first choice. <laughs> okay. And then I was waiting, 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 and I never heard back. I asked the casting director and they said, yeah, you're the first choice. But I didn't know more about it. And they said, oh, he's coming back. He went back to China. And I didn't hear anything. And I got very nervous because, I mean, in many occasions before, I was the first choice and I ended up not having the movie, you know. Mm. And the, the casting director kept telling me, stay in Paris, stay in Paris, because we never know, because the Chinese is always last minute. And said, no, 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 you have to be in Paris. It was May, and I knew we were shooting in June. We were starting in Paris. But he said, no, don't worry, because I knew they were about to call me any day. He said, you have to be in Paris, because they can call you any day to do the fitting, try the clothes for the movie. And usually that's funny because, well, I don't know that much in the U.S., but in France, each time I book something, it's mm-hmm. really funny because the first person who calls me is usually the costume designer. Every time I had a job, it was the same. I'm in first option and I don't hear. And suddenly the costume designer calls me and says, hey, what's your size? Can I see you? And like, oh, okay, do I have the movie? Yeah. <laughs> so usually it's like this. So anyway, I was in Strasbourg visiting my family a Saturday. And I thought, okay, okay, and go Saturday and Sunday, right? It's a weekend. 
And Saturday, the casting director called me and said, hey, can you be in one hour at this location to try the clothes? I said, oh, I'm in Strasbourg. Can I come on Monday morning? You know, first time. He was like, okay, okay. But I said, but, but what's happening? Because I never heard back. Uh, am I still in first option? And he said, oh, yeah, yes, you're right. You're in first option. And actually, right now, we have no more options. So it's you. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Because, <laughs> you know, I wanted to know if I was just rushing and I still trying my clothes. And and it went really fast. Like I went to try the clothes. And then a couple of days later, we were starting to film. It was in China in general. It's very last minute. You know, it's always last minute. So, yeah. How familiar were you with uh, the Armor of God series before this and Jackie Chan's films? You know, I didn't know anything about Jackie Chan. <laughs> I had no idea because I'm not really familiar with action movies. So I didn't know anything. I had seen um, Karate Kid. <laughs> so that's it. I think that's it. <laughs> so I didn't know any of the movies, but Jackie is really nice. He's very nice and very simple. But we talked about it actually when I was later because we started with Paris, filming in Paris. Mm -hmm. And then we filmed in mainland China next to Beijing. And then we filmed in Taiwan. And when we were in Beijing, I think this is when he told me, oh, you know, you should watch this movie. It's a part of the series as Armor of God. This. And, that, and that's where I watched the other movies because he told me about it. So you said you modeled in China earlier in your life. But was this the first time you got into film in China? Yeah, actually, when I was a student, I was not even a model, but I was just modeling as a student on the side. There was this fashion week in Beijing, and they wanted to get teen models. I mean, there was this girl taking care of the models who recruited me, and they chose two models to go for two months, and the rest, we were just going for one week. So I did that in China, and I did a kind of a commercial thing as well. A couple of years later, uh, it was in Shanghai. So, yeah, so it was interesting because I actually went to China 2006 and Beijing maybe 2002. So it's interesting because I went to China in 2002, 2006, and then I went back for the movie in 2011. So I could tell how fast China has changed because I've seen Shanghai with tons of bikes. Like the streets were just bikes. I remember filming with my phone. And when I went back in 2012, it's not like this anymore. So you can tell how fast it changes. I remember, so I went in Beijing way before the Olympics. Mm. And I remember I went to this amazing market, you know, where you could buy you know, handmade um, little paintings and stuff. And I wanted to go back. It was I never found it. I don't think it exists anymore. And I remember all these little streets, everything I remembered, mm -hmm. I couldn't find. Except, of course, the big, you know, monuments. Sure. But, you know, the, the little markets, everything has changed. So while you were traveling in China before and then throughout this process, did you pick up any Mandarin yourself? Actually, I always I like languages. I like learning languages. So mm -hmm. the first time I went to China, I really didn't have a lot of time. So I just picked up a book and I was trying my Chinese sentences on, on people, but they would not understand me because you have tones. And of course, if you read it, I don't know how to pronounce, right? Mm -hmm. I read it in, in pinyin. So I was trying, you know, my I say high and then I could negotiate maybe the price. I mean, it was just one week and they could never understand me. <laughs> and then I have to show the book and they read the sentence themselves. I was trying, but it didn't work. And then when I started to work on this movie, Jackie speaks English, but the other actors who like uh, Liao Fan and uh, Xin Tong and Lan Qin, they mm -hmm. were not speaking English. So actually I decided very quickly, okay, I'm going to learn Chinese. So I can speak with them. 
So I picked up this book and I was practicing every day, a new lesson, and and I was trying to practice with the people on the set. But I didn't understand at the time that there was Mandarin and Cantonese. So I was practicing my <laughs> Mandarin with people from the crew who were speaking mostly Cantonese, who had not even a good accent in Mandarin. And I corrected my Mandarin, so it was really... But I didn't know. So I was trying all my sentences. I was trying to talk to everybody. And one day, Jackie saw me with my little book trying to learn Chinese. And he was very impressed. Said, oh, wow. You know, and he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a scene in Chinese. He said, I'm going to write a scene for you in Chinese. At the end of the movie, you will be speaking Chinese. And I said, oh, wow. So I wanted to learn even more. Because I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have a scene in Mandarin. So <laughs> it was really um, exciting. And he did that. He added this scene at the end of the movie when I come back and when I speak in Chinese. So I was even more encouraged to really, really learn. So that's how I started. So we were first filming in, in Paris the whole month of June. Then they told me they were filming somewhere else. And they told me I would film in China next to Beijing. I think they told me September. But they kept pushing the date because in China it's different than um, in France. When you have a movie, they tell you you're going to have, let's say, two or three months filming. But they give you dates. They say between mm. June 1st and December 30. And, you know, you have two or three months. It means you can't take any other movie or any other thing. You're not supposed to because you don't know and they can't call you any time. You have to be available, basically. I still did, I think, a, a French TV movie, <laughs> but like I just had one day and, you know, it wasn't interfering. And, and it's because I kept pushing the date, they said September, and then they told me, no, October. So, and then they kept pushing the date and then I arrived in China, I think, end of October. And in the meantime, in the summer, I worked on my Chinese on my own and I also started to learn uh, Wushu, Kung Fu. And so I worked on that. And I, of course, I worked on you know, my script and my character. And so when I arrived end of October, my Chinese was a little bit, I could communicate, they could understand me when I was saying a sentence. But I remember when Shinton, the Chinese actress, was answering me, I had no idea what she was saying. I, I just, I couldn't understand anything. And this was in China and I was really trying, trying, trying. And then Jackie told me, because he knew I was studying and I wanted to learn Chinese, he said, okay, talk to Liao Fan. Liao Fan, he has the best accent. You have to speak with Liao Fan. You're going to learn Chinese. So I was really talking a lot to Liao Fan. And it's funny when you learn like this because I remember I arrived in China and they can understand a little bit. I, can't, they, I could not understand anything. And then we went to Taiwan in January. And I remember in Taiwan, I could call the actress and we were speaking, okay, do you want to have dinner? Yes. Uh, what time? Oh, okay. We could really communicate. I mean, simple things from everyday life. But I could understand her and she could understand me. And Taiwan was really cool. In China, we were working so much. You don't work as much in any Western country. Mm. But then in Taiwan, it was more cool because we were working at outdoor. So we were depending on the light, right? So we were not, we couldn't start so early and we had to wrap around, I don't know, 5 or 6 p.m. So it was easier. And we had some days off. It was really nice. I could really enjoy the <laughs> life in Taiwan. Well, we finished filming in January, and then in April, I went back to Beijing. I did the post 
on the movie where we started the promotion in Beijing. We did a big press conference. You know, in China, they do a lot of promotion. Mm -hmm. They're doing a lot of promotion for big movies. So we did a big promotion in way before the movies release. When they release the first trailer, they do a big promotion because everybody's expecting the trailer. It's not even the movie. So I went to Beijing for that. It was at the Bird's Nest. You know where they did the Olympic Games? They rented mm -hmm. the whole thing. It was an amazing oh, wow. event. You know, it was really interesting. Yeah. So we did that. And at that time, there was a press conference, a kind of show press conference. I mean, I was trying to speak only Chinese. And, and then we did the full promotion in December when the movie was released. And then we had a lot of press conferences and we had a lot of <laughs> events and TV and everything. And I was only speaking in Mandarin. So I was not understanding sometimes, you know, because sometimes it's direct, you know, you're on TV and you can't ask, oh, OK, what do you say? You know, <laughs> so I was sometimes I was just answering. I wasn't sure what they said. And probably uh, maybe I don't answer the right question, but I was just <laughs> they were thinking, oh, she doesn't answer the question. But <laughs> but I was just speaking in Chinese and Jackie was always saying, she learned Chinese in two months, which is true. I mean, I did two months in middle college, but I worked a lot. But, you know, it was fun. And when we did the big premiere for the movie, so it was in Beijing in December, it's not like a premiere in the U.S. It's kind of a show. There's a show before, and it's full. It's packed. It's huge. It's I don't know how many. It's kind. Of, it's not. It's like a stadium. It's not wow. even a movie theater. It's a stadium. And I was sitting on the first row. They had put some little chairs because we were not in the rest of the stadium. Because we were supposed to be in the VIP section. It was very uncomfortable. But it was so so big. I have no idea how many people were there. But it was a stadium, and it was a show. And every, like, for example, uh, Lan Xin, who does a lot of fighting, when it was her turn to go on stage, she had to kick with, uh, like, she couldn't see with her eyes. And, you know, everybody was doing his Jackie sang. There were other guys who were singing. And then for me and for Xin Tong, they decided we'd go on the stage together. And we had this thing when we, um, basically, they were saying that Xin Tong learned French during the movie and I learned Chinese, Mandarin. And so, you know, they were testing us on that in front of the whole crowd. Was the sequence that you shot in Taiwan the one with the pirates? No, actually the pirates, we shot it in, in studio in Beijing. What we shot mm -hmm. in Taiwan is the boat, a real boat, and then some of the exteriors as well, but it's mixed with studio, so maybe you don't, like when we when we are on the tree, mm -hmm. the beginning is uh, Taiwan, and then when we fall, the fall is in the studio. I just wanted to ask yeah. about the pirate sequence because that one seems like the most action-y sequence that you were involved in. Did you end up doing any stunts in that? Well, you know, when you shoot with Jackie, you have to do your stunt yourself. <laughs> so that's the thing. Jackie Chan, he wants you to do the stunt. And I remember when I had to do my first stunt, I never did an action movie before. So my first stunt, what was it? Oh, I had to fall. I had to fall. I was attached. I had a wire. But I had to fall. I was lying down on a piece of wood, like on a trunk, and I had to turn and I had to fall in the, yeah, I had to fall <laughs> and there was nothing. And that's very scary. I mean, it's not natural to turn and fall, right? You don't want to do that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to do that. They make me try first. And so they have the JC team, you know, who is checking everything, the harness and everything. And they make me try. And when I fall, maybe just one meter, because then I'm stopped by the wire, right? But when you stop, it's actually as if someone was punching you in the stomach. Mm. And I I almost vomited. It's very uncomfortable. So when they put me back up, the stand coordinator asked, are you okay? Can we film? I said, well, yeah, but I almost vomited. <laughs> and he said, oh, they, they were all laughing. But I said, oh, but of course, that's easy. You have to, to contract your abs. 
I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I did it again. I was like, oh, my God, I can't, I can't do this sequence 10 times. I'm going to bite. And, yeah, I was super scared. I said, why did the wire break, you know, because I'm high. And so we did it. It was filmed. And I was supposed to turn in a specific time. You know, there was some screaming, whatever. And then I was supposed to turn, fall, boom. And I did it. And then Jackie came. It was uploading. Do you remember? It was my first stunt. And I uploaded and say, bravo, one take. <laughs> I said, what? One take. That's it. I have it. I was like, oh, great. And yeah, it was really nice. I think he was really trying because it was my first stunt. And he knew I would have to do a lot. So he was trying to make sure not to make it difficult from the start. So I would be scared to do the next one. Right. And so he was like, yeah, great. It was perfect. And then later, so I was sitting next to him when he was watching on the monitor. And then he told me, yeah, so you like your first stunt? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. Because he loved, I mean, Jackie loves stunts. And he does all these stunts himself. And he loves that. I mean, you can tell. And he was like, hey, it was fun. I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, you know what? I didn't tell you. But actually, you had two wires. You had one wire that was holding you. So when you fall, you stop. And you had a second wire on the side. And I told my stern guy, the team, don't wait for her to turn. When she's supposed to turn and fall, just pull the wire and make a fall. <laughs> so I was sure I would get it the first time. And you wouldn't have to do it several times. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was really nice because he didn't say to, you know, he applauded me. He said, great. Timing is important, right? If I fall at the wrong timing, then I, we have to redo it, right? Because the camera is moving and when just camera is here, I have to fall. And actually, he helped me for my stunt because <laughs> I just... And it was cool not to even say it to everybody, you know. <laughs> so it was really nice. So I noticed in the blooper reel of this movie, there's one shot where Jackie Chan takes uh, a cue card from off camera. I'm just wondering, was that standard for this movie? I don't really remember in China, but I do remember in Paris, he had his text. He's really, really good with action and timing. But I think when it's English, it's more difficult for him. And I think people don't notice, but his English is... Uh, like he said to always have, oh, it's Jackie Chan's English, you know what I mean? Because he only say the important words. Mm-hmm. He didn't learn English in a proper way. You know, he learned it like this, just talking with people. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, it doesn't matter. People get it. It's Jackie Chan's English. <laughs> and it's fun, but I think it's difficult for him when it's in English, and especially when there's difficult words. And yeah, I remember in Paris, he had his text. Otherwise, he would just say the important words. Did he speak any French? Because I think his father worked like as a cook or something yeah. in the French embassy when he was a kid. Yeah, he told me that. He told me that, that his father was working at the French embassy. And at the time, he was speaking fluent French. But he said he forgot everything. <laughs> but I think he probably has, he said, I think he said two or three words to me in French. But I think it would come back. It just didn't. We were speaking in English. I said, oh, I forgot everything. But I'm sure it would come back. I'm sure it's somewhere. But yeah, he, he didn't really. He just spoke a few words so we spoke mostly in english yeah was the film shot in um because i know there's a mandarin version and there's obviously an english version was everybody speaking in the language that they were most comfortable in and then dubbed over afterwards or how did it work well the movie was originally really made for china so i would say the original version is the mandarin version in which you have english because, for example, in the Mandarin version, my character speaks mostly in English and also in French. I yeah. have some words. I mean, I have some French mm-hmm. and mostly English. 
and a little bit of Mandarin at the end. So this is the original version. And they would say ideally for every country it would be it would be the original version. And it's much longer than the American version. Did you see all the versions of the movie or just one? Oh, we could only find the American version. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I prefer the other version. I think the original version is much better. And they were a lot of cuts. Like, there are scenes you don't even have in your version that you saw. So the movie was really mostly in Mandarin, with a little bit of French. I guess there's a little bit of other languages as well. And a lot of jokes come from that, right? You have two languages, you misunderstand each other. Mm -hmm. And then what happened is that actually, when you do an action movie, actually, when you shoot in China, actually, because I did other movies, they don't really care about the sound too much. They do every, they do everything after. So they really care, especially for an action movie like a Jackie Chan's movie is very specific on the action. And we spent maybe 10 days to do a sequence, this 10 seconds, because it was this fall, you know, when you fall off the tree and there's this, we stop and there's comedy and we fall. This took us probably 10 days, two weeks. It was so long because every second, the timing and every, it's so complicated. So we spent a lot of time with this, with the visual and action. And so if the words, you know, if you, let's say you have a sound, you know, sometimes you have someone makes a noise and you can't really hear the, the, what the actor is saying. He said, oh, we don't care. We'll do it in post. So he didn't really care about that because, it's, you know, he wanted everything perfect visually. So what happened is that I dubbed the whole movie. So mostly for me in English with a little bit of French and a little bit of Mandarin, which is, I don't like doing that. I think it's always better to have the sound, like the real sound, right? And it was even not difficult because I dubbed it in Beijing and the guy who was directing me for the dubbing was not even speaking English. He was only <laughs> speaking Chinese. And I asked, can I have the dialogue coach from the movie who is American, right? Who could help me with the accent? Because it's not even, English is also my second language. And they said to me, oh, no, she's working on another movie. So I had no one. I said, can I have another dialogue coach? And there was no one. So I don't even think my dubbing in English is very good. I dubbed myself for French. So they dubbed the whole movie in French for the French version. And for the French version, they took the same movie, the, the Mandarin one, but everybody speaks French. <laughs> and for the American movie, they edit differently. Like the movie is shorter. The real movie, I think it's long. It's more than two hours. And oh, I think wow. the American version is how long is it? Um, An hour, 40 minutes? It's Yeah, it's something. a little under two hours. So they probably cut 20 minutes out of the movie. Yeah, it's not the original movie. They changed it <laughs> a little bit. And I think they, they tried to keep everything with Jackie and they cut a little bit of the rest because they thought, oh, American, when they want to see Jackie Chan, they don't care about the rest. I was curious if the cast was hanging out offset. Like, do you have any other memories of offset with Jackie Chan? So in Paris, we did a couple of dinner. Jackie invited everybody. It was really nice. In Beijing, I mean, we were living in the hotel. It was where the studio is. And I mean, we were all the time together, right? So every night we were eating in the hotel with Jackie, inviting everybody. But I don't know if that really counts because we were just working so many hours. So it's offset, but it's still in the hotel way. But they were really nice because the movie got delayed. And so... I ended up working for Christmas and they don't do Christmas in China. They know they will be wrapped for Chinese New Year, but they didn't care about Christmas. Christmas, I was in Beijing. I mean, next to Beijing, it's an hour from Beijing. So it's actually a big difference because Beijing, you're in a big city. You can find food you like. 
over there, you're in the, an hour from Beijing um, with traffic, maybe an hour and a half. There's nothing. There's a studio and there's nothing around it. And the hotel is not even adapted to a foreigner. I was probably at the first foreigner who was staying in this hotel. So I pick up the phone. I wanted to know, how do I go on the internet? Like my code or whatever. Mm-hmm. Everything was written in Chinese characters. I can't, I don't even know what to dial. I don't even know how I can call the, the you know, because everything is in Chinese characters. And then I go downstairs and I go to ask and then they don't speak English. So, so I don't know, we were always together, the whole crew and Jackie and all the actors. And usually I was eating at the table. There was this big round table. So the Jackie and all the actors and I was at the table with the actors always eating with Jackie and we had always guests you know we had always had these important guests so i don't i don't know who they were but i know that every night we had important guests <laughs> i know one night so we were not working on saturday so friday night we were going out in beijing not every time but like one night we went so we went to a nice restaurant and then we went to a karaoke place it was really cool and we all sang with jackie basically it's mostly jackie and the actors and the jc team the stunt team yeah and they said i mean even the stunt team they they're really good singers i was impressed <laughs> and and i remember we had this big dinner and there was a woman and this woman was one of the owner of samsung because jackie told me oh she's the owner of samsung whatever <laughs> so yeah we, we always had this important guest i met a lot of people i don't know who was who so this was in beijing and then when we went in Taiwan, it was more laid back. So, yeah, Jackie we, is really, it's like a family. I think that we are like his families. Every night he would invite everybody. He doesn't have to. He, he does invite us. You know, he pays for everybody. Everybody. It was a lot of people. There were, you know, all the actors and all the team, the stunt team and also the crew. Not every night, but almost every night he was inviting everybody. This is what he likes. He likes to entertain. He likes to have big dinners with everybody. He always tells his really fun story and it has a lot of humor and yeah it's fun are there any moments from that that you remember of jackie chan's sense of humor any sort of standout moments yeah just for example one about the english so when he arrived in la he was a famous star in hong kong but nobody knew him in la and he wasn't speaking english and he said i had to take these elevators you know and californian are very friendly and i wasn't speaking english i was so uncomfortable so he said I go in the elevator and then the guy next to me said, hi, how are you? What are you doing? You know, and he was so embarrassed because he didn't know what to answer. Each time he was going to the elevator, he would bend down and do his laces. <laughs> so, he, so no one was going to talk to him. He was so stressed, you know. Thank you, Laura Weisbecker, whose book is now available in French and Mandarin. For our final conversation, we've got Ben Knott, the cinematographer for the volcano sequence in Chinese Zodiac. Downtown Gold Coast. Nice. Everything's screeching to a halt with the virus. Yeah, it, it, we're both in New York, and it's like... Oh, you're in luck. Yeah. Lockdown. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't leave the house. And it's like the weather is nice today. Ah, <laughs> uh, boo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a bugger. How long are you, um, are you locked down for? Uh, no idea. <laughs> right now, it looks like at least until July. Really? And like you, you can go out and get food and stuff. They haven't done that here yet. No, you can go out for essential things. Like you get food, you can go walk your dog. Uh, it's really just about like trying to stay six feet away from somebody. 
Yeah, and yeah. like they shut down everything, but like they even shut down the liquor stores. Yeah, like... No, I can't believe that we we saw some propaganda out of the US somewhere that you know queues outside gun shops, which of course is an isolated incident, probably. But yeah, no, I don't know. Honestly, I think it was probably pretty uh, widespread. Awesome, go yeah. the human race. But you yeah. guys, you guys had like fires going for quite a while before this, so it's from we burned like shit, and then we got diseased. Right? You know? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's brutal. It's going really. It's going really. Kicking ass. So basically, you said the part that you shot was in Vanuatu. That was a bit where he jumps out of the plane. They fight over this thing in the air. Oh, he comes, okay, yeah. He comes in. Of a um, active volcano yeah. and rolls. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> but, okay, so how did you get involved in it? <laughs> well, uh, through a friend of mine who's a UPM who worked a lot in Asia, and she was doing a job in Shanghai, or I think, or Hong Kong, and she knew that this unit was coming out here, and Jackie was going to come with it. And she referred me to the job, or them, me to them, really, and and they called me up direct. So there's an active volcano near Queensland. <laughs> yeah, well, there's an active volcano on an island called Tanna in um, Vanuatu, the southern end of the chain, the island chain that makes up Vanuatu, mm-hmm. and it's a really cool, classic kind of caldera cone volcano. But there's also a couple of other active volcanic features there as well. So to do the sequence where he lands and rolls down the side of the hill, down the side of the volcano, we used Mm -hmm. one particular place that had a slope conducive to the action. And then I shot some aerials out of a helicopter looking down for the point of view, you know, when they're falling from the air. That was another volcano that look better from the air because it was a small <laughs> island that was kind of surrounded by blue water and you know so we lied nice. <laughs> so we've uh, we've talked to a few people just who have worked with uh with jackie chan in his more recent years and some of them say that just because he's getting older you know he does a little bit less of his stunts uh than he did before uh, so i'm wondering every one of those jumps was that always jackie chan or did he have a doubles doing that too uh there was some double work there there was also some work done on blue screen with you know the big fans where they simulate yeah. whatever no yeah, it's in the blooper reel yeah, and there was that sort of work as well, which they plugged him into it, you know. They did do several jumps with real jumpers, though, and, you know, the wide shots and stuff like that. But we basically came in after that. I received this brief, and then I got a bunch of storyboards sent via email. And I remember looking at them going, okay, so they jump out of a plane, and they fight, and they go over a volcano, and... He lands without a parachute and rolls down the side of the volcano. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, as is always, when you read a script, you know, the first time you read a script, you go, okay, cool, good story. And then the second time you read it, it scares the shit out of you because you start to really <laughs> analytically pick apart the moments of, like, and the war begins. All right, well, how, that, how are we going to do that, you know? So, <laughs> the, I was kind of saved from the – well, I wasn't saved. I was thrown straight into that part of the process because – they didn't send the script. They just sent these boards and a, <laughs> and a scene, really, as it was written. So, like, it was straight into the analytics of the mechanics of, all right, how are we going to do this? So I kind of pulled it apart and thought, right, well, the way to do this, because 
you know, you're on the side of a volcano, it's active volcano. We can't really invest in too much infrastructure, so let's get a drone. Okay, so all of the, the aerial sequences are done with the skydivers. That story's been told. We know the close-ups are going to go into that. That story will be told. I went to Vanuatu, flew to Vanuatu, and photographed the aerial shots of the volcano from above and various different passes that would play A as a wide shot and B as a point of view and what have you. And so I've shot that. And so that story is told. And now we have to land the dude on the side of the hill. All right, well, you know, there's a number of different ways you can do that. You have to see the impact because that's the cool bit. So Jackie flew in and we shot all of the, the rolling to a stop and Jackie getting up deal at the base of this mountain. And we did that for a day or two before and got that all sorted out. How, how and many he did takes that. was that? Like how, how, how much of a perfectionist he was, he was, he was that stuff? Oh, yeah, no, no. The, you know, he was into it. Like he threw himself on the ground plenty <laughs> and, you know, got up and dusted himself off. And he was very active in the whole making sure that, that you know, it was genuine and, and the energy was there. And he had with him at the time... The guy who directed the sequence was a guy called Brad Allen. He kind of stood aside while Jackie and his dudes, I guess, directed that moment where Jackie lands and that sort of aftermath stuff. And we had to shoot the landing sequence. So Jackie then, after we got all that stuff, he jumped on plane basically and racked off and left. And then we were left to solve this other riddle. And so I'd been speaking to Brad about how to do this. And I said, okay, Brad, let's get it. For a start, when you shoot in an environment like sand or snow, you're basically, your canvas is a one-time only use, right? Because you leave footprints. So the next time you want to go for take two, you've got to move everything to a new location or just slightly so that you don't see where you messed up take one. You know what I mean? And we're dealing on it like an ash cone. And so it's very sensitive. You could really see footprints and stuff like that. So my thought was, okay, well, let's not touch the ground. Let's get a drone and we'll hover above the ground. And that way, at least the footprint of the crew is minimized. And we'd only have to deal with relocating for the stunt guy's path, you know, to find a new fresh path, given the fact that he's probably going to do it three or four times. So we thought all this out and went, great. Okay, cool. So, okay. We're going to climb the mountain. We're going to climb up the hill. It's like a couple of thousand feet, this thing. It's pretty tall. And it's soft underfoot, so it's quite hard walking. We had two cameras, two, I think they were red cameras, and a couple of lenses and, you know, a set of a tripod and some basic lighting gear, very basic, because it was quite windy. And, again, it's an active volcano. There's shit coming out the top of this volcano. <laughs> And it's funny, it was like it was a bit like Gilligan's Island. We're all standing there going, okay, so if the wind's blowing that way, can we be here because the volcanic bombs are going to come out and blow that way? So will it be safe? And there's like not a volcanologist for 100,000 miles. <laughs> and so we're doing all the calculations ourselves going, yeah, it should be right. That should be okay. <laughs> and you're dealing with this like carbuncle on the side of the earth that just spits out shit whenever it wants to. <laughs> but not only that, you know, the whole of the caldera vibrates and it's very seismic, you know. 
so anyway, we're based on this thing. We've got our staff and the drone guy's got his shit. And there's like probably 300 of the local Vanuatu peeps who are all very, very dark-skinned and got big fuzzy hair. That's kind of their look. Mm-hmm. And recruited them to help, you know, Sherpa us to the top with all the stuff. And so about 40 of them have taken this whole drone rig up, which was a heavy lift drone, and had set it up near the top of the caldera. And then we had that done earlier in the day while we were shooting down the bottom. And then we were to bring up the other stuff, just the the other camera and the conventional filmmaking equipment. And I had a a good friend of mine who's a grip who I'd taken with me. He's a very large man, like he's the size refrigerator a big one i said look dude you're gonna be okay you know it's like <laughs> serious four-wheel driving up this thing you know and uh he goes yeah no worries i'll get up there so i said to him okay so good now can we just have a b plan ready for if the drone fails and he said okay because the idea was the drone would allow us to receive the impact and track down the hill next to the actor who was rolling head over heels down this ash slope. And he would roll quite fast because it was quite a steep ash slope. So we wanted to keep the audience involved in the frame moving and keep the audience involved and with us rather than just sitting back and observing a dude bouncing down the side of the hill. It's much more fun if you're tracking with the dude down, bouncing down the side of the hill, you know what I mean? Much more energetic. So that was the idea and hence the drone. And so I had this kind of idea of tracking down the side of the hill next to this dude who was rolling down the side of the hill. And um, I said, okay, back to the B plan. Let's get a B plan, right? I need to be able to track down the side of the hill and can you figure out some way of doing that? He goes, yeah, okay, nice. And I didn't give it any more thought. And so we trudge up the side of the hill. It took like three hours to get all the stuff up there. And as you get closer and closer to the top, you know, the ground starts shaking and this big boom. And we'd sort of done our basic maths right. This volcanic bombs weren't coming our way, so double thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> and we get right to the top, you know, we had a little peek over and looked into the red bit, and that was awesome. And we went, right, oh, yeah, okay, so it's now kind of mid-afternoon, and we know that we've got a couple of hours to get this done, and we've got to get, get out of Dodge, you know. And we really didn't want to be there as, you know, basic health and safety was get it done, get out. So... All right, so we're going, right okay, so drone boys, okay, this is the brief, you know the brief, we're going to do this. So we set up probably 50 metres from the very top of the cold area, very top of the cone, and we got the stunt guy right at the very top, and he's dressed in this kind of flight suit thing, and, you know, it looks like he's Jackie's stunt double, basically. And his plan was to run as fast as he could and then leap in the air, and we figured that he'd fly, he'd fly, He'd fly through the air for probably 20 feet before he touched down, you know, a la a ski jumper, if you like, on one of those ski jump things. So not very high above the ground, but he would fly parallel to the ground for probably 20 feet, about three feet off the ground and land. So it's all this kind of basic triangulation maths done by people who dropped out of school. and join the film industry. So, so, okay, cool, all right, good. So then we figured that we'll have the drone about 50 feet below his launch point and that should be where he lands or 20 feet below his launch point. Anyway, so, okay, launch the drone. 
and you know the boys had it all set up and it was this guy's it was his pride and joy he'd only he'd really only had two jobs previous he'd done two flights previous or whatever anyway it's the drone and the drones on the box and it's ready to go and it's windy and things are going on and the volcano's going boom and chips rattling and everything like the full it was full energy energy was up and the first assistant got ready ready stunt guy who couldn't speak english <laughs> he's got his hand in the air ready to cue him okay we launched the drone and the drone sort of floats off the box and starts to just find its level above the the slope very low to the it had to be very close proximity to the slope so the uphill rotor we really wanted only probably two feet from the ground and so this guy launches it and he starts to lose control <laughs> but he was like so cool i just remember his commentary while his world was caving in it was freaking great it was so cool he was just going oh this is not good no I I think I'm losing control here and this thing's wobbling like an old wheel on a wheelbarrow and then it just spears into the side of the mountain and then it <laughs> rolls down the hill like and as it's rolling down the hill really fast bits are flying off it and <laughs> still commentating he goes, oh, he goes the rotors and oh yeah and that's not good and it's just his whole world is falling apart <laughs> And then all the 30 or 40 guys that carried this stuff up there start running after it. And so there's 40 tracks of people who've run down the hill <laughs> to get this drone. And they come flooding past us and we're going, no, don't do it, stop. So they completely wrecked that trajectory, right? So we go, all right. And I said to um, the camera assistant at the time, he goes, were we rolling? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, awesome. All right, great. We've captured... The point of view of the crash, excellent. <laughs> this thing's rolled down the hill into oblivion, probably two or 300 yards before it stopped. All these guys are running down after it, and so we're gesturing like crazy for them to take it, you know, sideways. Without a shot. The whole unit moves around the hill, and as we're moving around the hill, every take, of course, we're coming into the window where the bombs are landing. Because <laughs> we're, in, we're in safe area, and every time we move, we're going towards not safe area. Because it's like we're just moving into the arc where the wind was. So the drone boys go home with their tail between their legs. That's a fire. So I look over at my refrigerator mate, Grip, and said, B plan. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, okay, well, you're not going to like it very much, but here's the B plan. And he had this table, like a plastic office table with fold-up legs. You know the ones you lunch off them. And, and that was his B plan. So he'd taken the legs off when he was down below and he'd used it as a makeshift stretcher to carry boxes and things up the hill. So it had served that purpose. And then he pulled it out, I remember holding it up with a big smile as he lifted this table up and he goes, here's the B plan. So he <laughs> threw it on the ground and he said, you're gonna ride on this and you'll just you'll just sled down the side of the hill, it'd be awesome. And so they got a, they had, 250 metres of rope, like a long a long climbing rope with them, and they tied it on the back of the table, and he dug a huge hole up the top near the caldera, and he got in that hole. He had the rope tied around his stomach. It was, I mean, so bogus. And all the rope was in a coil, and then they tied a little stirrup for my feet, and I sat on this upturned table. We didn't know the resistance of the surface of the table 
relative to the ash slide. So we didn't know how fast it was going to go. We didn't know anything. And it was just like, oh, fuck it. Let's just have a go, you know? And it'll either fail or it'll be okay. So I got on this thing and I'm sitting on it with the red camera handheld on the upturned table with this big coil of rope next to me. Well, it was actually a big coil of rope was up next to him. And he's in this hole 50 feet above me in this huge, I could just see the top of his head <laughs> in this huge hole. So, you know, again, the world's going crash, boom, the wind's blowing, it's like fully animated. Nature is doing its thing. Guy goes to the top of the hill, the stunt dude, they cue him, they pushed me first because they figured I'd be a little slower. So he started to edge me off and they call action. And I'm, I'm on the table, but looking sideways because I want a profile shot of this. And this guy just came sailing into frame. It was couldn't have been more perfect. He landed rolling and I'm just keeping up with him and it's perfect and everything's going great. I'm going, this is actually working. It's awesome. <laughs> so I'm doing this amazing tracking shot next to this guy's cart wheeling down this hill. And then I started thinking, this is going on too long. <laughs> this is a bit too good. So I pulled my eye away from the viewfinder and went, all right, I'm not sure what's happening now, but I know I'm going real, I'm Mac one. I've gone past this guy. He's up the hill. So I'm back panned up the hill and now I'm looking forward and I'm doing Mac one. This was going like shit off a shovel. It turns out there was zero resistance from the tabletop on this ash and it was just like sliding on ice on like a 40 degree slope. And now up the top of the hill, the big guy, the grip, has got this just rope tied around his belly and he's watching this coil of rope unfurl at light speed and he can't, he didn't have gloves. So he couldn't, if he'd had his hands on the rope, he was playing me out, but then he had to let go because it was burning his hands. And now there's this huge pile of rope just unplaying in front of his eyes are like dinner plates looking at it going, oh my God. And so what's happened then is the rope's gone taut. <laughs> I've done three somersaults. Luckily I had the, the red camera to, into my stomach and I've just done three somersaults and landed feet first into the ash. So I actually stopped rolling. Like it was really, the way I stopped. He, as they reckon, he was like a giant flying sausage. <laughs> he, got, he got my, I'm 103 kilos. And so the inertia of my weight going at that speed and the rope pulling tight has pulled this guy who's like 130 kilos out of the hole and rocketed him down the hill about 100 feet. He's just gone airborne, this big, they reckon it was like a huge flying sausage. <laughs> <laughs> and he's landed, you know, and rolled down the hill. But it made the movie. It looked awesome. It's piss funny. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, that was my experience with Jackie Chan right there. What was the stunt double like? He had limited in English, but he understood what the brief was. And really, the cue is the drop of a hand, right? So it's not uber technical. Yeah. Um, run, jump, roll. <laughs> Don't die. Could you tell yeah, us a bit more about the bit that you shot with him? Was most of the crew operating in Mandarin or Cantonese? No, I guess they would speak briefly amongst themselves in uh, yeah, either Cantonese or Mandarin. But then they'd very definitely communicate in English. Jackie pretty much directed the stuff that was on the ground, his element of it. And he would speak in very clear English. Yeah. So how much interest did Jackie Chan take in the non-acting aspect of it? 
like all stars in a way, you know, he and he, but he's different in that he is the corporation, you know, yeah. he is, and he does take an interest in it. But when it came to climbing the hill and doing all that stuff, he was on a plane and circled over the top of us and dipped their wings and nicked off, basically. <laughs> gotcha. you know. It's kind of crazy that it's so, like, fragmented, the making of this movie. Like, I'm sure there were tons of other crews like yours around the world. They're all kind of like this, though, you know, especially big action-type things. They're very much an action unit and a main unit sort of thing, you know. There's yeah. that... Totally. They're very much, very much geared like that, as you're probably aware. Was it pretty serious for the little bit that he was there for? Because the bloopers no, look like it's pretty jokey on set, but I don't yeah, know how true the bloopers are. Uh, very definitely serious. You know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, they're spending loads of cash to make a movie. So, you know, one of the nice things about working with people who have been in it for a long time is that they know what they're doing. And so, therefore, they can relax a bit more while they're doing it because they're so solid in what they're doing. I think there's an element of that with him and his crews is that everyone he employs knows exactly what they're doing and exactly what their job is. And so, he employs people that that he knows so yeah uh we were kind of and i guess he did know brad you know brad allen was his conduit to comfort you know as the second unit director and brad in turn employed all of us so brad was his safety blanket there two degrees uh, of separation type of thing yeah kind of and i think that that's how all of these people operate you know the their trusted carter of creatives allows them to travel all over the world and chew with all different nationalities and all different languages because they're buffered from having to heavy lift that actual action. You know what I mean? Someone's taken care of that business for them. They can still go about the process of making a movie. And the great thing about making movies is they're made the same way everywhere. The same processes are, are in place. The same disciplines are in place. And, and that all transcend language. I mean, I just did a film in Mandarin with a director, a guy called Louis Wei. He's quite a famous celebrity chef. And he was like Oprah, <laughs> China's first Oprah, had a talkback show and he's the first guy who did it. And he's quite, quite famous in China. And he bankrolled the film that, that he wanted to shoot and he shot it out here because it was basically Australian content. And um, we embarked on the whole process with him and he didn't speak English and he's a director and I was a DP. And it was amazing how, you know, it's in my sound cliche, but the language of filmmaking transcended the physical understanding of, of two people having to understand each other's language, spoken language. So within a very, very short period of time, I understood the nuance of his gestures when he liked something, when he didn't like something and how he wanted to, you know, hold his hands up to frame something or all of that stuff was fairly easily communicated. We had, of course, had an interpreter, but we found the interpreter too slow, basically, after all. That whole sitting around waiting for the, their, and it's again, it's their interpretation of what someone else is saying. You know, things get lost in translation, as they say. Thank you, Laura Weisbecker and Ben Knott for being on the show. I think that's it for this episode. Our original music comes from Elliot Saltmarsh and Yehuda Fist with a PH, and our art comes courtesy of Jay Castro.
Follow us on Twitter at China Film Pod, like the uproar in the studio Facebook page, and if you can afford it, we would really appreciate it if you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash uproar in the studio. All of your fun from last week helped us stage our successful revolution that you are all reading about right now. This week's funds will help us with our subscription to The Atlantic magazine. And if you feel like it, have some thoughts or suggestions, email us at upper in the studio, all one word, at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be talking about police story lockdown. But before we leave you this week, we just want to share some wisdom from the chairman. To read too many books is harmful. We'll see you in a week. Mm-hmm.